Father in heaven, we're going we're to look at hard things this morning. That's not new in Peter's writings. He wasn't afraid to, to get into the hard things. But we're going to look at exciting things as well. Things that you gave to him so that he would give them to us. And I am so grateful that these have been recorded for our benefit. So I'm praying that we will all pay attention, not just this morning, but I'm praying, Father, that the things that we look at today will stay with us. I'm praying that they will rest in our hearts in such a way that you can easily stir them up when need be. And I'm praying, Father, that we won't always wait for you to do that, but rather we will stir them up ourselves. This is good stuff. Help us pay attention. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are a preacher and teacher of the Bible, there is an inherent problem when it comes to issues like what we looked at last week, the coming day of the Lord. And we're going to look at it again today. So that means that that same inherent problem of last week carries over to this week. Now, if you're not a preacher and a teacher of the scriptures, you may not be able to name what that inherent problem is. But if you are a student of the Bible, you have a good sense of it. Here's how I would describe it. Making tomorrow's promises matter today. That can be a really difficult thing as you are making your way through the Bible, particularly for teachers. How do you make tomorrow's promises, things that seem to be so distant, how do you make those things matter today? How do you make them real? How do you make them poignant? How do you make them personal and purposeful? And when it comes to things like the coming of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus, or when it comes to eternity, that can be extremely difficult until it isn't. Now, let me explain that. The aged saint spends a lot more time thinking about eternity than the 16-year-old that's just about to get their driver's license. That's just the way it is. The terminally ill will spend a lot more time thinking about heaven than the young couple that is working on buying their first home. They're thinking about what they would define as heaven on earth, not their new home in eternity. People that have faced death or are facing death spend a lot more time thinking about heaven than the new couple that's just planning their wedding. It's just different stages when it comes to this idea of eternity, when it comes to the idea of the second coming of Christ even. It can be difficult to make tomorrow's promises matter today. It can be extremely difficult. But my friends, you pay attention to this. We need to listen to what the Bible has to say about the second coming of Christ. We need to pay attention to it in the biggest of ways because it's imminent. It is hanging out there. And for many people, it's just this back burner idea in Scripture until the events of the world stir something deep within them. 
That's been going on for the last three to four years in society and culture. People have turned their attention more to the second coming of Christ. They have thought a great deal more about it. But what I have noticed through the years and even in the last three to four years is there will be a huge spike in interest. And then because Jesus doesn't come back tonight or tomorrow night, that interest begins to wane. And then something will happen again and there'll be a huge spike in interest and then it will wane again. Because the longer Jesus tarries in coming back and don't ever lose sight of this, he's doing something very important as we are waiting for him to come back. But the longer he waits, the more we see those spikes happen. The more it cycles through culture and society. Even in the last four years, we've seen, seen things spike through the roof and then make their way down so people aren't really paying attention. Then it spikes back through the roof and then it comes back down. Even within the last six weeks, based on things that are happening in the Holy Lands, we've watched the same thing happen. When Hamas first attacked Israel, people started thinking about the second coming of Christ. But six weeks have passed and people have just kind of backburnered it. And we shouldn't do that. It should be the type of thing that is always in front of us because it will create a passion within us. Now, we were talking about that last week, and I told you then that we were going to keep going with Peter's teaching on this. So I want us to do that very thing, but I want you to understand that it is my hope to move people's interest when it comes to the second coming of Christ out of speculation, the realm of speculation. And when I say that, what I'm talking about is a majority of people, when they think about the second coming of Christ, want to speculate about the date in which he will come. It's total speculation. I want us to move out of the realm of speculation into the realm of motivation. And Peter knew how to do that. He knew how to take people from speculation to motivation on this issue. And I don't want it to be a motivating thing for you only for today. I want it to stay with you. And so did Peter. So let's go to the end of his second letter together and watch how he does this. Second Peter. Chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 11. We ended last week with verse 10. We're going to pick up with verse 11. The apostle writes, and listen to how motivating this is. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved. Now he's trying to motivate you. He isn't speculating. He's, he's motivating. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Isn't that motivating? Listen to it again with the, the motivating sense with which he writes it. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will meld as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, you just let that take root in your life, and as you do, follow it up 
with another time-tested truth. Here it is. We'll put it up on the screen. What you imagine matters. What you imagine matters. When it comes to the second coming of Christ, that's very true. What you imagine matters. Now, here's just a way of thinking about that. If you only imagine an eternity with heaven and no hell, then you're going to struggle in the realm of discipleship, getting to the point where you even question the authority and the authenticity of the Word of God. So now we have Peter helping us understand both a heaven and a hell. He's helping us understand that when Jesus comes back, judgment comes with him. So there is two sides to it. So there's this motivating factor. But if we only imagine one side of it, then we're going to get ourselves in trouble. If we imagine, only imagine, a God who is loving but not just, we're going to have some problems. If we imagine an eternity that never comes, we're going to have some problems. So what you imagine matters. How you imagine the second coming of Christ matters. Maybe that's why God wrote the way he did, so that our imagination would really carry us through until the Lord comes back. Now, I need to illustrate that for you and explain it a little bit more, or you may be scratching your head on that idea all day long. The Lord wrote in such a way that he would keep our imagination stirred until he returns. There is a psychologist named Herman Ebbinghaus that has pioneered an idea, or at least he thinks he pioneered it. Personally, I believe God did it, and he just grabbed hold of it. His idea is titled, The Serial Position Effect. The Serial Position Effect. Now, Ebbinghaus would define the serial position effect this way. The ability to accurately recall items from a list is dependent upon the location of the item on that list. That is the serial position effect. Now with it, there's a couple of subpoints according to Ebbinghaus, and these are really intriguing when it comes to studying the Bible. Take a look at them. He calls them the primacy or the primacy and recency effects. The primacy and recency effects in the serial position effect. Now, you're probably still thinking, where is Phil going with this? Glad you asked. Here's what Ebbinghaus would say about both. Items found at the end of the list that are learned most recently are recalled best. It's called the recency effect. While the first few items are also recalled better than those found in the middle, the primacy effect. Now let's apply that to the Bible. And we're going to work from the last one to the first. The primacy effect. The very first thing that you read in the Bible is about creation. And it shows exactly who God is. The very first thing that you read is how God created the heavens and the earth. And that sets the stage for everything else that you will read about who God is. The primacy effect. It's the first thing that is written. Now, here's the cool thing about that. No matter what your history is with the Bible, 
The majority of people are aware of the seven days of creation that are presented there. No matter whether you believe it or not, you're familiar with it. People hear about it from the time that they are very young, and it stays with them. First thing, the primary thing written in Scripture demonstrates who God is, how powerful He is, and how He brings things about just by speaking them into existence. Now we know who God is, the primacy effect. And then the recency effect is tied to how God closes out Scripture. In Revelation chapter 21 and 22, he talks about the new heaven and the new earth. And no matter what your history is with the Bible, the majority of people are aware of what is written there, at least portions of it. So the thing that was written first and the thing that was written last resonate with everybody, no matter what your history is, or most everybody. So if you've heard these things, they stay with you. They stay with you. That's the serial positioning of it. Now let's take that last one, the recency effect, and just look at some of the things God wrote. Keep your finger there in 2 Peter, but join me in Revelation 21. We're going to skip around a bit. Verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Then skip down to verse 9 with me. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed and on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And skipping on to verse 22, we read this. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter, enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life." Going on in chapter 22, John writes, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. 
Also on either side of the river, the tree of life and its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Now, if that doesn't motivate you, I have no idea what will. And John goes on in chapter 22 to tell us that Jesus is coming back to bring all of that with him and to make it so that we get to see it and experience it firsthand. Wow, that's incredible news. That is incredible news. Yet for some reason, all of that, even following the primacy and the recency effect, gets set on the back burner of life and of Christianity. And it shouldn't be that way. It should be something that is stirred up within us all the time. And maybe all we have to do is let our imagination run wild. And that alone will stir all of that up for us because what you imagine matters it matters and how you picture heaven and what you imagine it to be like becomes the motivating factor that determines how you live until you get there and that's why Peter writes the way he does in those verses we just read since all these things are thus to be dissolved what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What you imagine matters. Imagine eternity. Imagine heaven. And do it often. You don't have to wait until you're advanced in years or you are facing an imminent death to do that just let your imagination run wild because what you imagine matters it matters and it motivates now if we go on in second peter chapter 3 and and we are in verse 14 we're going to find some other things that we need to hear too verse 14 Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, all those things we're imagining, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of the lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now, here he is again motivating, but he's doing it with a stern warning. And part of that stern warning has to do with how people take the idea of the second coming and they hang their hat on the speculation of it, either trying to name a date and a time, which that is a huge mistake, trying to name a date or time in which they believe Jesus is coming back, or worse, 
they get to a place in speculation saying that because Jesus hasn't come back, he isn't coming back. And I love the way Peter in this unplugged version of Peter and, and every once in a while in his writing, you get to see the Peter that we meet in the Gospels. Here he is again. I like this, verse 16. We'll just read the whole thing as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Don't you like it when Peter just chooses not to pull any punches? The ignorant and the unstable, they hang their hat on speculation rather than motivation. They hang their hat where they shouldn't, and they lead other people astray. Now, you have to totally appreciate that Peter is actually warning people, all of us, as well as those that received the letter the first time, that some of what we're talking about is hard. It's difficult stuff to let our imagination run wild on the idea of heaven. But even John, the one who would write down what he saw from God, would have to use his imagination to do it. Several times in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, he uses the word like, because he's just trying to grab hold of some terminology that will help him paint a picture for us. His imagination is having to run wild. It was hard for even him to be able to capture what he was seeing. How much more difficult for those of us that don't get to see it, at least not yet. So it is difficult. And then this return that is not coming, it's difficult for people. 2,000 years we've been waiting for Jesus to come back and he still isn't coming back. Well, at the end of 2 Peter, just like he did at the end of 1 Peter, that's because Peter says God is long-suffering and he doesn't want anybody to perish, so he's waiting that all may come to know him. He's given everybody all kinds of chances. That's the patience of God, and it is all about salvation. So if you find yourself saying the Lord hasn't come back yet and he probably isn't coming back anytime soon, you just remember that that's because of salvation. It will shape your prayers and it will shape your life. So here's this warning from Peter in the midst of this great discourse on the second coming of Christ that you be careful that you don't get around the ignorant, that you don't get around people that distort this idea, but rather you hold to what Scripture says. It's like a warning label. And it's one that's it's kind of silly for Christians because we ought to know better. Interestingly enough, we live in a, a time where silly warning labels get attached to everything. Have you noticed that? I'm sure you have. If you haven't, here's, here's some silly warning labels that surround us on a daily basis. Reader's Digest put these together. I just pulled 12 out of their, I don't know, 36 or so that they had. So there's a lot of them. Take a look at these. Number one, there's a warning label on a wheelbarrow that says not intended for highway use. I haven't seen one that can run at 65 miles an hour yet. I'm curious to find that. Number two, a warning label on a baby stroller. Remove child before folding. I'm not positive who needs that warning label. Is there anybody that's tried to fold your kid up in a stroller? Number three, warning label on a Chipotle truck. Drivers do not carry burritos. <laughs> 
<laughs> what happened to the days when we had to worry about armored cars getting robbed? Now it's the Chipotle truck. Number four, warning label on a carpenter's electric drill. This product not intended for use as a dental drill. You know, I, I thought about dropping that one off of the list, but we have some folks in this church that are self-dentisting. That's the best way to say it. So I thought maybe we ought to put that warning in there. Number seven. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, number five. Warning label on a bottle of dog medication. May cause drowsiness. Use care when operating a car. You know, my dog's really good, and she's quite talented, but she can't drive. Number six. Warning label on a box of rat poison has been found to cause cancer in laboratory mice. <laughs> you know, we want the rat poison to kill the rodents, and if it has to be a slow death, I guess so be it. Number seven, warning label on an iron-on shirt pattern. Do not iron while wearing the shirt. <laughs> kind of stands on its own. Number eight, warning label on a hairdryer. Do not use while sleeping. Folks, I've not used a hairdryer in a long, long time. <laughs> but I don't understand the significance of that. Number nine, warning label on a brass fishing hook, harmful if swallowed. <laughs> I don't know who they're warning. Number 10, warning label on a can of pepper spray may irritate eyes, I, I hope so. Number 11, warning label on a cartridge for a laser printer, do not eat toner. <laughs> Sometimes you just get hungry. And number 12, warning label on a letter opener, safety goggles recommended. Folks, I don't know who these aggressive people are that are opening letters in such a way that safety goggles are needed, but my word, silly warning labels that permeate society. And this one from Peter seems to fit in that same category. We shouldn't need this warning, but we do. We do. Every one of us. You keep it in mind that Jesus is coming back. You keep it in mind that the time will come when you will stand face to face with him. Don't worry about all the speculation of when that's coming. Worry about the motivation of how to live until he does. Worry about, concern yourself with, am I growing closer to the Lord all the time or am I shrinking away from him? Because my friends, in the, the midst of godliness, you need to know this, there is no neutral. You're either moving forward or you are moving backwards. One or the other. You are not static in your relationship with Christ. That is impossible. You're either moving forward or backwards. So the warning really is this. Keep moving forward so that you never have to worry about moving backwards. That's the motivation of it. Because Jesus is coming back. Because the time will come when you will stand before him. Make sure you're moving forward because the time is coming when you will stand before him. That's the way it should be. So be motivated. Be motivated and avoid the people that bring false teaching. Stay away from them. Just stay away from them. If the teaching doesn't match the word of God, don't listen. Test the spirit so that you don't worry about it. This is a warning label that doesn't exist just once or twice in Scripture. It's all through the New Testament. It's not written just by Peter. There are other people that write the same way, like the Apostle John. Take a look at this. This is found in the book of 2 John. 2 John, verse 7. 
For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. So we have Peter with a warning label, and now we have John with a warning label. But remember, Peter said Paul writes about this too. Paul's warning label is maybe a little more pointed. This is Romans chapter 16, verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. That's how Paul finishes out his book to the Romans. It's with that same type of warning. You be careful of people that bring you wrong teaching about the second coming and about the fact that you will stand face to face with the Lord someday because they rob you of something. So you be careful. I love the fact that Peter would say, even our brother Paul, who writes some tough things at times, he talks about this too. So pay attention. Stay away from the speculators and hang out with the motivators. That's just a good way to think about it. Stay away from the speculators and hang out with the motivators. And Peter was a motivator. He knew how to motivate us unto the second coming. Take a look again in the book of 2 Peter chapter 14. I'm going to show you a word you may have never thought much about. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. That word diligence is really an intriguing one in scripture. Here it is up on the screen. Diligence. The idea of diligence in scripture matters. It is actually a spiritual discipline. It's one that Peter would use in the first chapter of this book as well. This is chapter 1, and I'm going to pick up in verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Now, this idea of diligence is really a, an idea of getting into your relationship with Christ and doing the work that you need to do. It's a motivating word that becomes a spiritual discipline. And it is one, quite honestly, that I've just been exploring in the past few weeks, maybe the past few months, as I've been in this book of 2 Peter along with his first letter and recognizing that diligence is actually a discipline. It's not just an idea. It is a discipline. It is something that we have to work very hard at. It is something that we have to dedicate ourselves to. But if we will, if we will, then we will start adding things to our faith that will keep us moving in the right direction all the time. It is a motivating discipline to be diligent. So you can add your, or not add, you can ask yourself on a regular basis, how am I doing with the spiritual discipline of diligence? How am I doing with it? 
Am I continuing to add to my faith the things that I need to? Peter would start out his second letter by telling us that God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness, but we still have some responsibility in it. And that is the discipline of diligence. If we're not careful, speculation will get in the way. Speculation will literally get in the way of diligence and motivation. So you have to be very careful of that, avoiding it at every turn. Now, real quick, let's just go back to this idea because the warning is so real. I want you to know exactly how we are supposed to avoid this idea of speculation. We have to remember that Jesus himself says, nobody knows the day or the time. Take a look at this in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, We're going to go to Matthew. There we go. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. No one knows. That date and time is something that is reserved for God alone. Look at this from Deuteronomy. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Don't worry about the secret things. They belong to God. You worry about what's been revealed to us, and what's been revealed to us is the need to be continually motivated in our faith as we set our sights on the return of Jesus and the day that we see him face to face. Don't worry so much about the secret things. Just trust that God has them. And I like the way the psalmist teaches us to do that. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall remain stable and fixed under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, all you have to know about this type of teaching is that to dwell, to dwell in the secret place of the Most High simply means, God, I trust you. I trust you. And if we're able to do that, then we will remain stable and fixed under the shadow of the Almighty, always moving closer and closer and closer to who he is. That's what we have to know. And that's what Peter's teaching right here at the end of this letter. Keep moving closer to Christ because he is ever closer to you, to you seeing him face to face, to coming back, to setting things right, bringing the new heaven and the new earth. So make sure you keep moving that direction. Mark Buchanan is one of my favorite authors. I want to show you what he says about this issue as we close this message out. It is highly motivating. Take a look. I already have everything I need for life and godliness. I can today participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world. I can be thick as thieves in the things of God, cagey as Houdini with the wiles of the evil one. God can't get rid of me and the world can't catch me. That life has been available, made available to me in full. Only there's some assembly required. Now I must make every effort to attain what I already possess, or more to the point, to fully possess what I've already attained. A car never driven goes nowhere. A dollar spent buys a dollar never spent buys nothing. And I love you never spoken woos no one. I can gain the whole world and heaven besides, but lose it simply by not using it. I can let supernatural provision like manna mold from stockpiling. Peter tells me I have gained the whole world in heaven besides, and he tells me, therefore, to do what at first blush seems counterintuitive, but once pondered makes the only sense. 
Make every effort. Get to work. Dig and stretch and reach and struggle. Throw yourself headlong and two-fisted into the fray. Make it all count. That's Mark Buchanan. I love that last statement. Throw yourself headlong and two-fisted into the fray because Jesus is coming back. The time will come when you will see him face to face. So throw yourself headlong and two-fisted into the fray. Don't sit static and think that you're just in neutral. You're not. You're sliding downhill. Throw yourself two-fisted into the fray and fight your way into that deeper, growing, motivated relationship with Jesus because you trust this. There are enemies that are trying to take you backwards. They're trying to take you backwards. So you watch out for them and throw yourself headlong and two-fisted into the midst of it because Jesus is coming back. Stir your imagination often because it'll keep you motivated. What you imagine matters and it'll keep you in the fight. So stay in the fight. Friends, stay in the fight. That's how Peter finishes his book. And truthfully, that's how God finishes his book with the promise of the new heaven and the new earth. And so that's the recency effect. That ought to be the thing that you remember all the time. That's what waits. So make sure you're ready for it. Make sure you're ready for it. And here's how you do that. You make sure that you have responded to Jesus' first coming so that you can be excited about his second coming. Those that have not responded to his first coming tend to have zero excitement about his second coming. So make sure you've responded to his first coming and let that drive you every day to his second coming. Want to know how to respond to his first coming? Understand that you need a savior. And without Jesus, you cannot be saved. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't buy your way to heaven. You can't ride on the coattails of somebody else unto heaven. You have to have a relationship with him, a personal relationship with him. It's your choice, no one else's. You have to make it. So you make the choice to accept him, not just as Savior, but as Lord, and then you live accordingly with him sitting on the throne of your life. This morning with the guys I pray with, one of the guys, I don't remember who it was, started his prayer just by saying, Lord, I, I'm just grateful for where you sit. Boy, there's something in that statement. I'm grateful for where you sit. And if he's sitting on the throne of your life, then you are growing closer to him all the time. Seal that relationship in the waters of baptism. Seal that relationship the way you need to. And then grow closer to him every day. And as you do, you will have no fear and no concern whatsoever for false teachers because you know the Word of God. And you're growing in the Word of God. And you're standing on the authority and the authenticity of the Word of God and looking forward to the day that you see Him face to face. Take the right steps. This morning you can. Just respond to the invitation. There's a door over here to my right, your left. We call it the prayer room. A lot of other things happen in there besides prayer. People make decisions for Jesus. People get questions answered. Oh, people pray. But a lot of other things happen. Why don't you go there as soon as the service is over?
Talk to somebody about whatever you need to talk about so that your motivation will be all that it should be as you wait for the return of Jesus. Why don't you stand and pray with me? Father in heaven, excited about what you have waiting for us. Excited that you have this promise in scripture that you're coming back. And Lord, thank you for not telling us when. Keeps us motivated. And I'm excited, Lord, that you have given us your spirit to help us in the battles that we face with those that would try to teach wrong things, those that would try to lead us astray. Thank you for your spirit. But Father, I'm also grateful that your spirit keeps us moving forward ever closer to you. I pray that we'll trust him. And I pray, Lord, that we will imagine often what life will be like with you. Today I'm praying for those with needs. Needs of salvation, needs of discipleship, needs of peace, whatever it is. I pray their needs will be met as they get bold and go to the prayer room. Father, I'm asking that cool things happen in there today. And I'm praying that cool things happen in the baptistry as a result. In Jesus' name, amen.